Dear Diary, hi, it's me, Eric. Oh, I can't wait for this week's recording of Pod Like a Hole. It's my pick this week. That's right. Finally, Fad Gadget. Oh, I can't wait to show the guys one of my uh, my favorite new-to-me bands. Uh, but they're so influential in the world of le- electronic music. Oh, I can't wait to play the songs. and oh, I just know the guys are going to love them. And maybe finally, finally I can get some of that respect I've been, I've been trying to earn all these years. All right, let's see how it goes. Wish me luck. All right, goodbye, diary. I love you. Welcome to another episode of Pod Like a Hole. Season three, we running we are running the gamut, excuse me, with your three intrepid hosts, Mark, Steve, and Eric. You'll hear from them in just a second. But what we do, we pick our favorite artists and bands and we talk about some of their uh and sometimes mediocre records, sometimes great records, uh, but never anything where it's horrible records. Uh, well, at least up until now. No, I'm kidding, Eric. I'm kidding. Fuck! <laughs> um, but uh, tonight we're going to be talking about uh, somewhat of an unknown um, act. It was unknown to me. It was unknown, I think, uh, to Stephen. Not going to put words in his mouth. And you'll that's hear true. from him in a second. But that's probably... Yeah, right, there you go. That's Stephen, everybody. Say hello. Um, hello. Hello. Um, so... Uh, if you didn't read the episode description or even look at the title of this episode, we're talking about Fad Gadget. It was a mute records act that was nominated by our dear friend and scholar and uh, the master of the clang and bang, uh, Eric. That's true. Thanks. And I like that 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 type of listener that we have that just doesn't doesn't read the episode description, just blindfolds, press play uh sight unseen that's i that's mean a, that's dedication that's, that's a thrill seeker right there that that's is right. someone who's uh, not afraid to go into the danger zone that's that's, that's for right. certain although we do recommend checking out the album first on your own so you can play along at home but still i respect that i respect that level of uh that level of danger the danger for, zone the danger See, zone top gun maverick which will be on home release by the time you hear this <laughs> Available on all the streaming platforms or even on Fox 40. Who knows how long you've taken to edit this thing. And that's partially on me. Um, So, uh, Eric, yes, we're going to be talking some fad gadget. Um, But before we do that, we like to uh, do some of our award-winning segments. Uh, Let's check the old Nine Inch Newswire, Bowie Bulletin, and... uh, Whatever the ticker tape is rolling out on that old old timey like stock machine thing that we have, folks. I am covered in paper from the old timey ticker tape machine. There is a lot of news from the various acts we have covered. So, uh, Eric and Mark, have you heard about this? Have you heard about this? <laughs> Judas Judas Priest, Judas Priest, famous metal band, Harley's and Leather. They started a European tour, and for the first time since 1978, they didn't wear leather, jeans, and t-shirts at the Judas Priest show. Can you believe it? 
unbelievable. Stop the presses. That's right. Uh, that's, Refund. uh, refunds. A lot of refunds were given out that tour. Absolutely. <laughs> Pandemonium. We've got chaos in the streets. Dogs living with cats. Cats living with dogs. Uh, Apparently, there is life after leather. Elsewhere, other artists in the UK, even. Uh, Run the Jewels. You guys remember Run the Jewels? Uh, we talked oh, about yeah. their fourth record. You betcha. We ran those jewels. Yeah, the fourth record got a glowing review. And, uh, you know, the fourth record is a topical, uh, covered pandemic kind of album. Kind of came out at the at the height of some George Floyd uh, unfortunate news and whatnot. It was a record of the time when it came out. And was it 2020, Eric? 2020 sound about right? That, that sounds perfect. Right. Yeah. So Run the Jewels are playing shows again, and they played their first UK show since the uh, record came out. Their first show since the record came out. Uh, and uh, the it was it was at the Brixton Academy, and it was full of songs off that album. So Run the Jewels are on tour again for the album that came out two years ago. Finally, if you've been waiting to hear those songs live, now you can. Elsewhere. Well, yes, check your check your dates. I don't know if they're going on tour again with the Rage Against the Machine. I don't know if that was refunded or rescheduled. Who knows? I, I had tickets for that at one time, and then I decided, uh, you know, I'm going to hold on to these Romstein tickets for two years, but I'm not going to hold on to multiple tickets for two years. So I released them back to Ticketmaster. Catch and release. <laughs> You're holding on to the Ramstein, Romstein tickets uh, to see if they'll, like, uh, grow in value over the years. Exactly. <laughs> I, I want to see how many more. I want to see. I want to see how many more albums they can release before they tour. Yeah. Well, you know. Speaking of which, speaking of Romstein, they released a new video. It is for the track. Uh, how do you pronounce it? Dick Titten. Is it Dick Titten, Eric? How do you pronounce that? That's Dick. Awesome. Uh, yeah, I think it would be Dick Titten. Yeah. Translates to uh, we think big tits and. Uh, I tell you, folks, if you've watched the video, it's exactly what that video is about. <laughs> you can file it in their comedic video file <laughs> and dressed in an old German, uh, like living Louis in the Hosen. hill, Lederhosen, and a bunch of uh, voluptuous women milking cows. And uh, that's that's pretty much the video. I found it uh, quite funny. What do you guys think? You know, I'll just shamefully say I didn't uh, uh, put that on my to-do list. And it's on me. It's not like I'm avoiding it. Um, But I do really appreciate whenever uh, Rammstein turn into the Bloodhound Gang in their videos, though. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) We we had to pull you out of the theater from seeing Maverick for the 15th time. (laughs) And you can finally watch it. Eric, what'd you, what'd you think of that video? I, I got a good uh, chuckle oh, out of it. Yeah, same. And I just love seeing Till as like the uh, the old like grandfather in a German town. Long beard, later hosen, uh, like little curly hat and, and, and puffing on a pipe. Yeah, it was it was wonderful. Yeah, blind, stumbling around. That's right. That's see, that's the that's the joke. He's surrounded by these big boobs and can't see any of them. I tell you, it's, ya. Uh, it's, uh, it's like that, that Alanis Morissette. Uh, a police academy uh, joke, not police academy. Naked gun, a blind man trying to feel his way out of an orgy. Feel his way out, like a blind man out of an orgy. I'm gonna have to feel my way out. 
elsewhere, other bands we covered, uh, the blackened death metal band Behemoth. We talked about their record, I Loved You With Your Darkness. I Loved You At Your Darkest. They announced their new album, Opus Contra Natarvum. Opus Contra Natarvum. Don't ask me to say it again, folks. <laughs> It'll and be on the tip of everyone's tongue this summer. The the uh, They released a new video as well for a song called Of My Herculean Exile. Of My Herculean Exile. I listened to it. It sounds like Behemoth. And I think it sounds great. Nice. Elsewhere. Elsewhere in the news. Uh, what what started this this podcast? What started this project? It was a band called Nine Inch Nails. Have you guys ever heard of Nine Inch Nails? Do you remember Nine Inch Nails? Uh, yeah, but I only really now follow the metric system. Is that part of the metric system? Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> you know, the, the way things are going in this country, probably we're going to have to learn the metric system. Exactly. <laughs> It'll make the dollar go uh, farther. Trust me. Did you hear about the set they did in Boston? Did you hear about that? Uh, no. Tell a, us all about it. It was a pretty one. Yeah, so uh, Nine Snails is playing some... They're, they're playing one date at... Uh, I guess it's called the Boston Calling Tour. And the Strokes canceled. And when you can't listen to the Strokes, who do you listen to? Nine Inch Nails, of course. And so Nine Inch Nails said, hey, we'll do, we'll do a second night. But instead of playing just the same uh, set list they played the first night, they cobbled together a set list full of of uh, deep cuts and stuff you don't usually hear from them. Did they go even deeper. They went. E- <laughs> they didn't go even deeper. But Just they played. Uh, Got it. They played every day is exactly the same, which they've only played like three times since 2006. Well, that's fun. Like Mr. Self-Destruct, The Day the World Went Away, uh, Wish and Last. You hear those. Sin, Terrible Lie. I guess you hear those a lot. Yeah. Letting You and Echoplex. You don't hear those often. Not too much. Uh, all, all That Could Have Been from Still. That's a good okay. one. Okay. Yeah. Brought the house and, down, I'm sure. Yeah. And they did their cover of uh, David Bowie's Fashion, but also Pig Faces Suck. They don't play Suck that often. Well, um, if uh, you're the uh, Eric Purist, he, he's not really playing it the right way. The song was intended. Um, <laughs> oh, I love them both, Mark. I love them both. <laughs> Just like your children, but it's one right. you kind of like a little bit more. <laughs> yeah, and and that one knows too. But yes, <laughs> you tell him every day. You look him right in the. Oh, sorry, not him. Them. Let's uh, keep it, you know, neutral here. Um, the line begins to blur as well. That's a, that's a good song. That's a great song. And, uh, sad news, sad news, gentlemen. I know you heard about this, uh, recent, recent gentleman we discussed on the podcast and, uh, I guess in a TV call-in show kind of way, you're going to hear about this before we talk about this, but, oh, well. A hero of the show, Mr. Andrew Fletcher, passed away. It's a unexpected death from a gentleman who was part of Depeche Mode. And the uh, the day we released one of our episodes is when it, it was the same day he uh, died or it was announced. It was very odd. And uh, old, old Fletch, the glue of the band, passed on. You guys doing all right with, the, with this, this news? What do you think? I mean, it was a bummer. 
<clears throat> it was a bummer. My and and my son Lennox was like every day he's asking me like, are they announced if they're going to stay together and and keep being Depeche Mode? He's very worried about it. But uh, I you know I think the the big loss is 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 Fletch for sure. Yeah, I mean, um, they always jokingly like he was the one that uh, you know kept the trains moving on time and uh, his biggest contribution to the band was just kind of keeping everything organized um of course he brought some musical input in there as well but he was often the tiebreaker when it came between martin and uh uh dave and so the fact that they kept him around for probably their sanity and to keep the band really stuck together um it says a lot about the man and uh all of the uh, tributes that were written for him uh, from his uh, colleagues, peers, and uh, people that just loved his input to synth pop definitely seemed like if you cross his path, he was one of the really strong, solid guys. Uh, I was shocked. Eric texted the the uh, the group, and I was like, "Wait, what? Uh, how is that possible?" Like, uh, it, our podcast, we were it's never happened, and I hope it doesn't happen. As we talk about another subject coming up, if they had passed on, it's one thing, but to have them do it the same day that you're just, it all felt like eerie, uh, but not in a very, very right? powerful power. If we have it, if we, I if we wield, <laughs> that I could, kind of power. I could think of some artists I'd like to start covering if we do have that. Power. <laughs> <laughs> all of a sudden, all of a sudden we become a political podcast. Yeah. Yeah, Eric, all of a sudden, exactly. <laughs> Oh boy. That's right. And the next thing God devil without a cause. Let's go. <laughs> yeah. What are you doing? <laughs> but for this right. season, Don't we're going to just do, <laughs> we're just gonna do American senators. The whole, just, we're going to cover all the senators. Uh, Supreme yeah. court justices. Yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we got to, this is going to get us in some list. If we keep going down this road. Right. For sure. But I'm just saying it's, uh, how we turn into a eulogy into like a really dark bit. Um, but what are you going to do? Andy Fletcher, uh, definitely a good dude. Hopefully Depeche Mode is uh, not going to hang it up, but we could understand if they do. Um, it would be definitely odd to see them going as a duo, but they absolutely could. Well, when you, I mean, it's, I'm of two minds of it. When you see them live, they've got to, it's like an eight piece band now and has been for, for like sure years. It, it would more just be, I'm sure like, you know, mentally how they write songs and operate. Like, you know, maybe, maybe the, maybe the other two guys don't even like the idea of trying to do anything without him there. I mean, even if he's not essential to crew, like playing the music, maybe just having them there is a, you know, him and Martin Gore were good buddies. Maybe they just don't, he wouldn't even doesn't want to get on stage without the guy there anymore. Who knows? Yeah. No, it's true. Um, but yeah, anyhow, uh, what else is on the newswire? It seems that you're covering yourself and having to loosen your necktie there, Walter Cronkite. Oh, yeah. We're covered in stuff here. Uh, let's see what else is going on. The news I'm looking at, I've got like this this matrix wall in front of me. I just feed in band names from that we've covered before. Are you going to do a like a Wolf Blitzer breaking news <laughs> alert? <laughs> There's a... Spotted in Minneapolis, a hundred foot tall prints. No, really, guys. In Minneapolis, they just released a hundred foot mural of prints. 
You can go there and see it on the side of a building. It's a giant, giant purple painting of Prince, 100 feet tall. It's really too bad a podcast can't have a good, solid B-roll. So as you're talking, it, goes, it cuts to that. That's, it's an unfortunate limitation to this medium. Um, we're going to have to figure that out. So that's, that's about all I've got here. I mean, personal news. Let's see. Uh, two, two fun things happened recently. I, uh, I went to my first uh, show in years. We went and saw the Bay Strikes Back tour, which was Death Angel, Exodus, and Testament. A couple of old Bay Area thrash bands at the venue Ace of Spades. It was sold out. It was a lot of fun. Testament stole the show by far. They have a good catalog, that Testament. Dave What's Lombardo. Their versus denim philosophy. What's my what? What's their leather versus denim philosophy? Well, oh, they're, they're denim. They're, they're all denim. <laughs> well, lines are drawn. Yeah. Brother Dave Lombardo, brother. Dave Lombardo, hero drummer, was on uh, drums for that tour for them. Good shit. I was about two songs in. I was like, holy hell, this drummer is fucking crazy. I was like, oh, it's Dave Lombardo from Slayer. Was it Animal from the Muppets? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, but there's a, lot of guys, there's a lot of guys that look like Animal from the Muppets there. <laughs> and then uh did you uh the last thing uh, no newsworthy I was, I was uh i was pulled over by the the police in my own driveway this week that was amazing they cut you for speed i was just moving I, I was moving my work car out of the driveway and then moving my wife's car into the driveway and in doing that act all of a sudden when i got out of my wife's car the police lights were behind me and and they were like, get back in your car. I was like, ah, <laughs> I'm just going to my house. And you were driving. Are you okay? Are you having a medical emergency? Are you under the influence? You were driving very erratically. And I was all, uh, no, I'm, I'm, I'm sober and I am not having a medical emergency. Oh my God. And I was just moving cars around in my driveway and it's 12 AM and I just kind of did it quickly. Yeah. Because I didn't see any cars coming. I don't know where you guys came from. Uh-huh. Well, you have to, you have to understand our point of view. If we see somebody driving like that, I was like, look, I was just moving cars in and out of my driveway. Well, it looks suspicious <laughs> at this hour. Well, I'm a night owl. This is my house. And then at this point, like it got a little more casual and I was just like, all right, I got to get through this. And so I put my hands in my basketball shorts. Please, sir, take your hands out of your pockets. And I was like, oh, okay. All right. <laughs> Don't want to become a statistic right wow. from my own home. Jesus. Yeah. Un- you, you have Believable. So yeah, they, I mean, they turned in this whole like you have to understand from our point of view. If we see somebody at this hour moving a bunch of cards around, we have to investigate it. And I'm like, oh my god, There's come on, Steve. Did you did you do a little donut in the middle of the road? Just, just <laughs> no, I did not. <laughs> <laughs> Were you I mean, feeling a little a fast? Yeah, fast and furious. Yeah. Anyways, that's that's all the news. And that's some news, folks. <laughs> Good lord, I put hair on my chest. I was like. <laughs> ripping my seat like it was a roller coaster ride i was like i i hadn't heard this story and uh i thought it was gonna go and okay so i spent one night in jail and somebody, uh, somebody smuggled a phone into to jail so steve could be with us tonight like tupac <laughs> recording his album from behind bars <laughs> that's fitting considering considering eric was uh on one last night texting me to listen to uh sacramento local rap artists uh <laughs> 
it, it wasn't and what brother lynch wasn't the one that went to jail and recorded an album there who was that no was, that was, was that was one of his friends x-rated uh, that's right don't worry about it don't worry about it i was i was a big old bra- <laughs> big old brass last night but let's uh Let's get back. I love how big old brass is transcend like <laughs> a very specific thing that happened one evening has become a code name for uh you know having one too many. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll never forget that. I look over at you <laughs> during that one segment and you're like, This song's got some big old brass on it. And I was like, All right, Eric's gonna about to fall out of his chair. <laughs> Wow. Similar times. Yeah. We recorded every episode in person. My God. Yeah. What, what wow. world was that? That, that was an experiment. Now. That was an experiment. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, is there, uh, listen, uh, what the, the next next segment here, what, what do we call this? This is the uh, the recommendations one. The the plug like a hole, which we need like to get some hole. snazzy background music to introduce that segment. It should just be the uh, Larry Sanders theme song. Um, <laughs> applesauce. Fresh. Plug it in. Plug it in. Mark, Mark, what do you have? You better not say you don't have anything, and you can't talk about Star Trek, even though I've been watching Picard. Pick something else. No, absolutely. Um, you know, I'm, I I think of myself kind of like a you know history guy. You know, I I just really love. Um movies that have some historical background, you know, for example, I don't know if you guys know this. Um, so on March 3rd, 1969, uh, the United States Navy established an elite school, uh, for the top 1% of its pilots. Um, <laughs> did you know what they call that? You know, uh, I can only they, guess the, uh, the, they call it the, the, the official name is called fighter weapons school. You know, flyers is what I like to call them, not pilots, but flyers. Iron Eagle. Right? We like to call it Delta Force. Top Gun. <laughs> oh, Mark likes a uh, Tom Cruise movie, uh, Film at 11. No, I mean, <laughs> uh, yes, I, I did watch um, Top Gun Maverick. I've only seen it once, and uh, it was uh, extremely dumb, but extremely well done. Um, they can be both things. And, uh, Seeing old Iceman show up and spoilers you know, on, damn it! I mean, I know it's been out for the, five he's months. He's in the credits. I mean, his but name is right. in the credits. All right. <laughs> it's not like, uh, uh, you know, like it's immediately Val Kilmer's in this. Right. Um, it was a, it was an AV Club headline. I think that makes it fair game. Oh, yeah, well, the, you know that that website's become a digital rag, and they would they're, they're not beyond spoiling things either in their headlines. Um. But there was uh, like one part, you know, when I was uh, big old brass, when I went and saw it in the theaters, don't worry, I wasn't driving. Um, you know, I actually teared up. It was ridiculous. It was ridiculous. Um, Tom Cruise shows up, does his Tom Cruise gum chewing thing, which, uh, you know, of course, I'll take, you know, five of that, please. Um, saw a preview of the next Mission Impossible, which uh, had to peel me off the ceiling um, to uh, get me back in my chair. And uh, yeah, it was good. Uh, it's it's one of those legacy sequels. I mean, um, I was listening to another podcast and they were talking How about Top Gun. Dare you? I, I know. I only listen to two podcasts. One is ours, and the other one is that one. Um, and they were talking about legacy sequels. The fact that uh, after Top Gun, 
old Tommy C. Um, went and did Color of Money, which was a leg- legacy sequel to the film The Hustler. And, uh, you know, it's in his DNA. He, 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 he came back to this even despite being offered um, back in 1986 to do a sequel. And they were going to quintuple his salary to do it. And he said no, because uh, Tom Cruise thought it was uh, the way that that film came out. He um, saw the recruiting numbers skyrocket. And uh, that's not what the intention of the film was, even though it's kind of the intention of the film. It makes fucking flying a plane in the fucking Navy look like that's the cat's pajamas. Um, so then he decides to make like a uh, uh, Born on the Fourth of July to kind of show both sides. Um, so say what you will about Tom Cruise being a complete nut job, um, which, let's be fair, he is. Uh, but man his movies they are just like rock candy for me i don't know what it is um they they really ever since i think magnolia that's where my tom cruise um went into overdrive the fact that and and it's unfortunate because that's like the last movie where he actually tried to be a little bit more dramatic rather than you know doing the tom cruise running um in every movie that he does Uh, yeah but 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 even in I mean, he's, yeah, he's way more, like, last 10 years, it's been pretty much just action movies, and most of them yeah. have been good. But in the, the aughts, even, he was doing some sci-fi and thrillers and stuff that weren't, like, you know, acting dramas, but they still had some some good acting in them. Like, uh, what's the, the Michael Mann movie was great, Collateral. Yeah, I like that one a lot, there, too. There was, some, there was some acting in there. Sure. And even, uh, I'd say, uh, War of the Worlds and Minority Report, there's some acting in there. So. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm not saying that Tom Cruise is a bad actor. I I really enjoy him in Vanilla Sky. I thought that he absolutely, even though that movie may be seen as a little messy, I I really enjoy that one. Um, but those Mission Impossibles, including Mission Impossible Two, which is completely it's Tom Cruise being in Face Off, but it's um, still incredibly enjoyable to watch. It's just dumb, but I will. Take five of that, please. Um, so yeah, Tom Cruise, our Top Gun Maverick, and uh, it's uh, I'm such a normie for saying I like that because it seems to be getting pretty good reviews, even though my brother-in-law did not like it. Con- contrarian bastard, even though he celebrates and loves every moment of the original, he did not like this one, mm. and I just looked at him very skeptically, like, okay. Let's- it's, it's all right, Mark. It's all right to, for you to be the one likes normal things in this podcast because inevitably Eric is going to suggest some film from 1972 that you can only, you know, watch with Italian subtitles and it was filmed in reverse. So it's fine. <laughs> Eric is like, just like, yeah, and that movie is called. Yeah, exactly. And you'll, yeah. yeah. And then you'll thank me for it later. Yes. You can't, you can't. When you sound yeah, interesting at a party. <laughs> you can't find it on Criterion anymore. They discontinued it, so you got to get it on uh, a new version Canopy. of Criterion. You have to go and show a library card to get it. Black market, Calliope. black market Criterion. <laughs> well, Eric, so what? What is the 1972 uh, subtitled film you've been watching lately? Sure, sure. Uh, no, no film, no film recommendation today. Um, I think what I will recommend and. This is a, an artist that I got into after that the festival that I went to. Um, 
I went and checked out his albums because he did just a really good performance. Um, and I'm breaking one of my own rules on this one. It's one of these newfangled bands that has decided they don't need vowels in their names. Um, and uh, they're called, uh, his name's Trust, uh, T-R slash He is living proof of my fingertips When you melt beside us like he does like that noisy electronic Pretty sure it's pronounced that way it's not trust it's tr- it's trust it's trust uh it's uh you're trusting it, that it is it i am i am his uh his name is robert alphonse um band's been around since 2010 uh so at least he was on the early end of that that strange band naming fad uh and uh canadian and it's just like um the music itself is is rather like catchy like very like poppy but noisy industrial i guess but he sings he has the most unique voice uh, i've heard in a long time and he just it's very haunting but he but very competent um anyways he was just singing into the clouds when i saw him and, and i was just like okay this guy's this guy's got the goods he's got the juice so um, i checked out his albums and and you know there were you know uh and, and 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 was recommended to by the by the friend I went to the show with as well, and and I was not did not disappoint. It's, the whole catalog's great, and he is truly a unique a unique singer in a great way. It needs to be more more of that. So especially in, the, in that genre. So it was great. Trust. Trust. Yeah. Okay. Trust. Steven. I'll I'll check him out. I have two things to recommend tonight. Uh, one, I I you know what. I've, they're all they're one of the things that's I've, all I've been listening to lately, and I can't remember if I recommended them in the last episode. I doubt you guys will either. I guess I'll have to go back and listen to it when it's released. <laughs> but <laughs> this uh, this artist Master Boot Record did I, did I talk about them in the Ultra episode? No, it doesn't sound familiar. All right, Master Boot Record. I don't remember. I actually yeah, I read about them. On the uh, the website angrymetalguy.com, which is uh, a website that just reviews metal albums and they go really in depth and they're pretty funny. Been around for fucking probably 20 years. And uh, this band called Master Boot Record, it's not metal, but it is. It's a Master Boot Record. In the um, in the metal circles, I think some of this uh, 
this stuff where like you got these guys that just take a bunch of keyboards and just smash and jump on them and make really aggressive keyboardy music. I think there's a crossover audience there. Like uh, there's some of those bands that Eric and I like. Um, oh, your yeah, Carpenter Brute, your your Perturbator, yeah, Perturbator, yeah, or, those yeah. guys. And, and but those ones sound more like, uh, you know, it's definitely like there's a huge like '80s like Neon Demon type drive vibe to it. This is just it, it's somewhere in between that stuff and then like I don't know Aphex Twin or something in video games, but he also plays guitars. I I don't really know how to describe it. Yeah, it's like a Commodore 64 with a guitar playing Nintendo music, but it's all original music. There's no vocals. Um, I, I suggested some of it to you, Eric, and I think you you liked it, right? Oh, I si- I signed off on it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it it's just it's cool. It, it's good stuff. Mark, you might want to check it out as a curiosity. It's just it's instrumental. It sounds like it's made with like real computers. <laughs> like like sometimes it sounds like if you could take a bunch of uh, Amigas and have them boot up. And make a song out of it with some guitars and a little bit of a eight pit chip chip tunes over it. There you go, um, Master Boot Record. Master most recent Boot album, Record. Most recent album is called uh, Personal Computer. I really, probably thought hard to come up with that name. So there you go, <laughs> Master Boot Record. I mean, honestly, um, I gotta just the band names these days. Uh, <laughs> not. <laughs> what's that other one you were laughing about? you know it's funny you brought one up and then i listened to them later and i was like they're not bad what was it artificial brain artificial brain i wanted to say acid for um for brains or something but artificial brain yeah Yeah. and like catastrophic abortion you know (laughs) (laughs) these these names are we're running we're running out of we're running out of you know words that we can use in different in combination and, yeah. and we're running out of vowels, apparently, with some of these bands. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, these bands are just like getting those paper fortune tellers with like diff- like one word under each flap, and they're doing it a few times until they can string <laughs> something together. Hey, what? One more thing, and then we got to talk about tonight's subject. Um, another thing I checked out that I really liked, I watched it with my wife, one of the rare times we were able to sit down and watch something together, is that I watched that Steven Soderbergh movie, uh, No Sudden Move. Okay. Uh, you guys watch that? Yeah, yeah, that's the one with uh, Benicio and uh, a great cast, yeah. right? Stacked cast. Yeah, it's got Benicio. It's got Don Chadell. Yeah, no, I know what you're talking about. I, I never hit yeah. play on that one. John Hamm, David mm-hmm. Harbour, mm-hmm. um, the Kieran Culkin, uh, Brendan Fraser, and uh, many others. And who doesn't love that guy? Yeah, it's it's got it uh, takes place in the fifties. It's got some crime. It's got some double crosses. It's got some heists. It's good stuff. I I really like it. And I like, you know, Steven Soderbergh always occasionally tries to do something a little bit different, but within the confines of a normal movie. Uh, he uses these this this lens that's like rounded at each edge a little bit. Did you catch that, Eric, when you were watching it? Yeah, no, definitely. It's it's uh, once you get used to it, 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 it it's definitely immersive. But it, at first it's like. Uh, yeah, everything's a little out of focus around the edges. Yeah, you don't. You know, I don't know if that's called an anamorphic lens. I don't know if that's the right term. Because uh, I am not a cinematographer, but it is. It's pretty cool. It's, it's a neat little effect. Once, once you don't like, once you notice, notice it, you're like, oh, that's cool. Then you don't notice it. It just kind of adds to the the feel of the thing. No sudden move. Good film. 
good recommendation. Oh, I yeah, it keeps falling on my back burner. Um, so we've got all of our award-winning segments out of the way, and it's now time to uh, have Eric put shaving cream all over his body and talk about what fad gadgets all about. That's right. That's right, guys. Um, so I know that the, they were a new group for you both um, and relatively new for me. Um, back like five, six years ago when I kind of just went head first to reconnect with industrial music and then just kind of found that that's my, that's my sweet spot. I, um, of course, like I do with everything, um, I had to ruin it with some, with some research. And, uh, and I bought this book. Uh, it's called Assimilate, Critical History of Industrial by Alexander Reed, I, I, or S. Alexander Reed, I'm sure I, um, I've talked about it before. It's a really great book, and um, Fad Gadget kept coming up as like a, um, not a complete innovator of the genre, but like second wave, like coming in right around like uh, Neubauten, um, and just being like one of the first to meld uh, experimental synthesizers with like a kind of punk attitude, but pop songwriting. Um, and I, that definitely like caught my attention. The song it recommended checking out was uh, actually a big club hit of theirs, Collapsing New People. And one spin of that, and I knew I was a fan. It was it was catchy. It had an awesome drive to it. It had some weird like found bangs and clangs. Um, and it just is an earworm. Um, and I think I've probably forced that on, on both of you guys. Did you did you happen to check out that particular track? Uh, yeah, no, Eric, I did uh, listen to Collapsing New People. Um, when you told me about the uh, title of that song, I immediately thought of the English translation to that Einstruzendi Neubauten. And um, Ingo. I listened to it uh, back. I, I, I listened to it as I was preparing to listen to the second run through of my um, research for this record. And it is a very catchy song. It does have that clang and bang, um, but I do have to admit that it's uh, it's pretty pretty catchy. A little repetitive, but that's kind of uh, standard for something that was experimental and really synth-based around this time anyways. Right, right. Yeah, that's fair. Um, and uh, a lot of people have claimed uh, Fad Gadget as being an inspiration. Um, you know, people that I definitely love, like Kevin Key of Skinny Puppy. Um, Depeche Mode, of course, um, even like DJ Premier and uh, Erasure, Boy George. Um, so Fad Gadget, uh, after that, I, I, I did dive in and, and this particular album um, doesn't have the song Collapsing New People on it, but it is the most consistent album, I think. So that's why I picked it. I feel like it it works as a package and it's it's got kind of more hits than, than not. Um, so a little bit about them. Uh, Frank Tovey is Fad Gadget. Um, and he came from, you know, he's a, he's a British boy. He came from uh, Bow, which is like, uh, it's it's one of like a, one of the city neighborhoods in London. Um, and he kind of came up through the art scene. He was uh, 
you know, a performing artist, believe it or not, came from the Bowie tradition of, of miming, among other things. Um, apparently. I could see uh, that. <laughs> yeah. I could definitely see. Yeah. Uh, so definitely a flair for, flair for the, the theatrical. Um, and he, his first demo, and this is actually, um, I'll reference it a few times. There's a documentary and you can find it on YouTube in really good condition. It's, it's a uh, mute records, put it out. So it's official. It's uh, just called fad gadget by Frank Tovey. And it's a one hour documentary about him and it's got Depeche mode in it. And, um, Martin and, and Dave both said that like they specifically remember uh, the song Back to Nature. Sitting in the shade of a rubber tree, I'll kiss you and you. Kiss me. Um, which was his first single, um, really catching catching them. And then when they first started, they op- were opening for Fad Gadget in some of these early shows. And he was making a name for himself being a, a, quite a performer. Yeah, he was experimenting a lot with synths and ways that other people weren't, but he was also like covering himself in shaving cream or tar and feathering himself on stage or like pounding himself with a microphone and breaking his nose and uh, just very physical, uh, putting a lot into it. Um, and it was still a genre that was pretty like experimental and cutting edge at that time. Um, and so something like that certainly put him, put him on the radar of a lot of people, but that single caught the attention of Daniel Miller. Daniel Miller was in, uh, this, uh, uh, also this very early, like phase one, phase two industrial group called the normal who had the song warm leatherette, which you know, you know, because Nine Inch Nails covered that. Um, and, uh, the song TVOD, both great, great tracks. And then he started Mute Records. And Mute Records was home to so many, so many groups I like. I think if you follow through them, I think we could honestly say Mute Records is a friend of the show with Depeche Mode and Nitzreb and, and, uh, Nick Cave, uh, among many others. So great record label and um, Fad Gadget was one of their first signings. And the first album that came out was Fireside Favorites in 1980, um, which is a, it's a scrappy record. He still has like very much seems like a punk singer and electronic band. He's got this like sneer. He's, uh, he's very sarcastic, very much making, making fun of the um, kind of the conservative squares around him in a lot of his songs always it's got a sense of humor um and a dark streak and uh that first album has one particular song that i i I really like it's called the box the box and it's just a thing of distorted synth beauty um with a really catchy uh let me out uh singing let's go on the Screws go round, blood runs cold 
first album is is very scrappy, but there there's a couple songs that I that I consider all timers for for the group. Uh, this is just a little side note, but somewhere in here, um, the uh, Daniel Miller uh, released this this record. It's very weird. I'm not recommending it, but it's called Silicon Teens, and the record is uh, basically all electronic remakes of like '60s bubblegum pop. Uh, not for me, but he he credits Frank Tovey as being the lead singer of this fake band. They're like they were like a Gorillaz idea, where it was like a fake band. Frank Tovey had nothing to do with the record whatsoever. It was all Daniel Miller producing and doing all of the the songs. Um, but he put his name on there, so I guess he got word of mouth going about Frank Tovey a little bit. So whatever. <laughs> uh, so following it up with this, the album Incontinent. Um, now they're starting to bring in some live instruments into the sound, polishing it up a little bit. Um, but a lot of these early songs, the reason why they're not as consistent, I think, is he dabbles in his kind of more theatrical stuff. Um, and the, I guess the space between like bangers to, Oh, that's interesting is a little bit wider. Um, and so, uh, but there are some great songs on incontinent Saturday night special and, and flame clothes is, is a great addition of like some sort of guitar. And um, some very just uh, uh, street level um, story storytelling. Uh, a great, great track. And then uh, after that comes the album we'll be talking about tonight, and we'll get into that to a second. And then the last album that we put out that 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 Frank put out as Fad Gadget was an album called Gag. Uh, this had collapsing new people on it. Um, this had a lot more live instrumentation, a lot more electric guitar work. Um, and uh, it was, uh, you know, it was definitely probably one of their biggest commercial hits. Um, and then after that, Frank decided to switch it up and just stick to his solo name, Frank Tovey. And he put out an album called Snakes and Ladders, which was there in like uh, later 1986. Um, that just sounds like a Fad Gadget album with more um, smoothed out production it's very sarcastic about um, 80s uh, opulence. And there's a fantastic song called Shot in the Dark and another song. And I know Steve got a little tripped up by that. I sent it to him and he was so hoping for it being an Aussie song. And yes, you'll I've notice. Been, I've been in, I've been in, <laughs> yeah. been in Aussie Osborne mode this, uh, this yeah. last couple of months. And uh, not, a, not a cover, but still. Mr. All right. Crowley is now your ringtone. <laughs> <laughs> Frank will do that to you. A lot of his song names also share the names of much more famous songs, um, especially uh, like two songs for sure on the record we'll be talking about tonight. Um, and I, I would say Snakes and Ladders, if you like Fad Gadget after we talk tonight, uh, check it out. It's, it's, it's a really cool album.
that, he totally switches and he gets really into like Woody Guthrie style um, workers' rights, uh, uh, like folk, like folk protest songs. And um, he starts fading, phasing out the synthesizer a little bit, album after album, um, until he just joined. He just brings on this band called the the Pyros, and they just play this like raucous folk music, and, uh, and to kind of finish out his career. which, you know, he uh, pretty much, you know, in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, by the mid 90s, he, he's done. Um, and he kind of he kind of hangs it up for a while. And then in um, 2001, Depeche Mode, ring him up. Um, there's a there's a and they say, hey, let's we're about to tour for Exciter. Would you like to open for us in the UK shows? And, and Frank says, hey, I haven't done Fad Gadget in a while. And he dusts off Fad Gadget and and opens up with them for the UK and apparently just threw everything into it. He was doing all of his old live act, like, like he was intense. He even got to connect with some of his old band members and bring them back out for the live show. And then, uh, uh, in 2002, after, after doing that, he died of a heart attack. He had a lifelong kind of heart issue and died very young, 45. Um, but left us with, uh, with quite a quite a slew of, of, of very interesting, very uh, game changing music, I think. And that's kind of the history of Fad Gadget. Yeah, I mean, honestly, <clears throat> I have no idea why this band. Um, I've never heard of them before. You introduced them uh, by submitting your. Uh, I I didn't expect. Uh, well. Yeah, I didn't expect a band that I wasn't going to be familiar with hitting one of our lists. Uh, but, you know, this is the education of Eric Anderson. And uh, he always is uh, trying to show us where our favorites really came from and uh, highlighting some folks that may be lost to history. Uh, so I do appreciate the fact that... Um, not only did I get an introduction to Fad Gadget and Frank Tovey, um, but same time, like, yeah, uh, had no idea that he was really there at the beginning of Mute Records and all that. So very fascinating stuff. And thank you, Eric, for uh, kind of running that down, because in most episodes past, we always generally kind of chime in on people's discography and their history because we all three somewhat have a little bit of an idea and somewhat of a personal background. But I think maybe this episode and maybe clipping and maybe for me, Behemoth, um, I just wasn't really um, didn't have any really uh, background with them. So if anything, this episode or this season has been... Uh, a roller coaster ride of learning and swooning. So good stuff. Yeah, and, and, swooning. and uh, swooning. honestly, honestly, our, girls. Our, our, obviously, our our show really cooks when we're tapping into that nostalgia. Um, so I, I'm sure a choice like this could be possibly seen as insufferable. Uh, but I do like this band <laughs> no, quite also, a bit. You know, nostalgia is such a nostalgia is such an easy fucking crutch. Like I even don't like the word sometimes. Like I, it's just, it, it's, it, it can be such a killer of, 
uh, learning about new things or spending any time with anything new. And as you get older, it's easy to stick with what you're comfortable with, which I think is human nature. Yeah. So sometimes, sometimes being forced to uh, absorb something different is great. So here we are. That's right. Thank you, Steve. Um, and, 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 and you can look at it like, uh, and, and honestly, the diamond dice just gave us this as, as almost like a, uh, preamble, a reverse preamble to Depeche mode. It kind of fits in nicely, kind of builds that world a little bit more. Um, and, uh, I, it works, it works here. Um, well, I, think, I think it's very fun that Romstein, Depeche mode and fad gadget all were in the same three month span or so. I think, oh, it's, yeah. Uh, oh yeah. They all, they all inform each other and then, yeah, this guy comes before them or, or right alongside Depeche mode at least. <sighs> right. Right. So they're all, they're all, they're all descendants of a uh, craft work in some way or, or form. Yeah. 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 That's, that's fair. So under the flag, uh, Eventually released November 1st, 1982. Um, this was uh, basically Frank had his first child and he looked out into his beloved England and Margaret Thatcher, the conservative eighties, this like uh, the, this, uh, uh, there was a real outbreak of, um, uh, racial like fascism um, against, uh, especially against the immigrant community. I'm not familiar with that. Uh, <laughs> You're right. Tell me, what is that like? We're living in a world like that, right? Well, this album is all about that. It's a, it's it's a timely album. And, oh, and okay. Frank, well, yes. thankfully, we'll never experience that in America. No, no, no. Couldn't happen. <laughs> Couldn't happen under these these colors. Don't run. Um, couldn't happen under 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 <laughs> that flag. Uh, but uh, Frank looked at his daughter and looked at this world and was very terrified for, for her future. Um, and uh, so he wrote this album, which is kind of like a, I'm not going to say it's a concept record because it's not like all the same character, but it is, it all sticks to a theme. It's very like looking at, the, the problems of conservative fascism, well, fascism under like conservative authoritarianism and, um, and the kind of dread that, that brings. And then like, what, what kind of world does that like, does that fester in? Um, and so it all does stick to a theme. Um, you know, me, the longtime listeners and, and Eric heads out there, you know, I love a theme record. So, uh, uh, this one made sense for sure. Um, a lot of sampling happening in this record. Um, it all sticks to a very similar sound uh, pastiche um, where, uh, you know, as opposed to, there is live instruments in this, but as opposed to each song kind of having a different collage of, of, of sounds, it's all built around similar synthesizers, live piano um, played by David Simmons playing his grand piano. Um, and then some percussion and like, uh, vibraphones played by Nick Cash, um, with, uh, with Frank doing the rest of the music and then a chorus, not on one song, but on almost every song, a chorus backing up the vocals, um, performed by a slew of people, Andrew Kay and Cliff, Barbara Frost, Jill Tipping, producer John Fryer, Yvette Anna, but the most notable name as we brought up in the Depeche Mode episode is Allison Moyer. 
Yaz, who Vince Clark left Depeche Mode to join uh, Yaz with. Um, and as I said in that episode, she has such a powerful voice, and you can really uh, hear her adding a lot to the background on this record. Um, like I said, it's not just one track. That chorus, almost like in a, Shakespeare, a Shakespearean play, there's like the, the chorus that helps move the story along. That shows up in, in almost every track to really just add exclamation points to what's happening. Um, Gareth Jones produced most of uh, Fat Gadget Records, but not this one. This one was produced by John Fryer. John Fryer was a member of this Mortal Coil. Dead Can Dance, uh, and like albums by Love and Rockets and Lush, but most notably for this show, he did like half the tracks um, for Pretty Hate Machine. Um, everything that wasn't down in it or had like a hole. Um, and he at least produced those tracks in Blackwood's uh, studios, uh, the Pretty Hate Machine tracks. Ad Fad Gadget produced this entire album there, and that's the same, um, uh, same, uh, it's a it's an All Hallows Church in London. It's the same studio where Depeche Mode uh, recorded a bunch of times. Yaz recorded, so um, very uh, just for that genre, uh, historical place. And uh, that's kind of the background on this particular thing. I was surprised when I looked at John John Fryer's. I remember him from from Pretty Hate Machine, but that guy has had his his thumbs in a lot of excellent pies. I do like a good thumb and a good pie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yes. So that's, that's kind of the background here. If that's all we got, let's go to the track by track friends. Zooming through it. All right. All right, Eric, tell us what is track one. Uh, track one is under the flag. Part one. Well, our anti-heroes cry such a weak willed boy. He follows his nose, not his head. album is is uh, bookended by under the flag songs part one and two and this one definitely sets the stage um it kind of starts with this arpeggio synth that kind of builds on it for a while until the vocals come in um and he starts telling a story here um it's definitely a, mo a mood builder a stage setter he's he's uh telling a story about the world recession um the cue for is mile long for every job um, his lyrics talking about the, the, uh, the boy, the, their anti-heroes weak willed. He, uh, follows his nose, not his head. And he basically becomes a, a worker for this, this conservative state. He comes like a, a lapdog for the, a lackey for the state. 
And um, this is kind of setting up uh, just one of the many characters on this album. Um, and you kind of get this kind of hopeless opening and painting this world of, uh, of this kind of this country that's been kind of squashed, squashed under the boot um, or under the flag in this case. So uh, Mark, any thoughts on our opener here? Yeah, I, I actually think it's a pretty, pretty good track. Um, it kind of reminds me a little bit of um, how uh, copy of a starts with nine inch nails, but a very, very scaled back version um, and of course it, it kind of maintains it, you know, of course, uh, copy of a by nine inch nails definitely has a rising action. Uh, this record just kind of maintains that level, uh, all throughout most of their songs. Um, minimal music production. I mean, as a one man, uh, this is the pioneer of synth based synth pop, um, music, so getting in on the ground level, I don't expect uh, to listen to something so layered and uh, textual um, that we hear today. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to put it in the lens of for its time, it was laying that groundwork for both minimalism, uh, certainly trying to take a page out of uh, the craft work playbook more so. Um, it's just synths and drum machines. It does start to expand during the one word chorus, the one word chorus being under the flag. Um, but it's more, I think, painting that picture lyrically uh, through that less than ideal life. Um, it's it's not bad. And you can definitely see how this record is going to have that that tone. Um, not really thinking, you know, if I was just listening to this as a casual listener, I would just think that this was a collection of songs not something that was really held together by a theme. Um, but having said that, uh, with that sort of background, knowing that this was a conceptual record, um, I can see where he's essentially laying that template for, uh, talking about what it's like living under the flag of, you know, where patriotism is above all else, uh, that jingoistic, uh, where you're overlooking all of society's ills, um, and just trying to live it blindly through patriotism. Um, yeah, it's, it's not a bad track. I mean, I have to just reset my expectations that knowing that this is a very minimal synth pop record, and this is essentially what you're going to be getting. Cause I will say the first time that I listened to this record all the way through, um, it took me a bit. Um, but my second listen on headphones, which did help bring out some of the, um, highlights. Yeah. So and I would say, I had to reset. I would say you're not wrong about the, you know, the rising action piece. I would say this, I would, I would disagree that this album's without climaxes on songs, but that he uses them sparingly. Um, yeah. And I think it's effective when he does. Um, no, I think you're right. I think I'm being a little bit, um, generalized, uh, by saying that there's no, uh, uh, sense of like, oh, okay, transitions and building up to a certain uh, section. Um, I, it's just not as dynamic as what you would maybe come to expect. Um, but it is, you know, like let's just compare where Depeche Mode was during this phase. But Depeche Mode were definitely way more commercial sounding than this. I mean, you, you just have to kind of more compare this to 
you know, someone like Einstruzendi Nubauten or even early template of what Skinny Puppy were going to kind of evolve into, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. No, that, yeah. And, and this song, not only does it not have a climax, but it stops like mid me- measure to go into track two. But uh, Steve, did you, did you, did you sense the stage setting of this, of this track setting us up for a, not necessarily a story, but a, a feeling? I have never done this many push-ups in one day. I think I exceeded maybe 500. The sweat pouring down my face and into my eyes. It feels wonderful doing all these push-ups. And the broken glass on the ground, I can see the stars and stripes waving. I am the strongest man alive today. Thank I mean, that's sure. exactly Thank what you. I think, too. I mean, it's uh, I, I, you took the words right out of my mouth. It's it's uncanny, really. OK, next track. <laughs> All right. Track two is a song called Scapegoat. Noisy dance track. Uh, it takes a little bit to get going. Um, you have some pretty miserable lyrics about uh, very sarcastic. Love me dear and be prepared to live a life of morbid fear, a soulless life of solitude and exile here. Um, better still to keep your own utopia. You could have that dream come true. Basically, warding off somebody because of the just the the, the, the misery and darkness that the the, the, the narrator feels. Um, but uh, at some point, the ice synths start cracking through the song, and Alison Moyet and the chorus just start thundering in the background. Um, and at some point, the song do- does does swoop me away as a very interesting track too. Mark, scapegoat. I think this one has some interesting synth melodies, uh, no question. But I'm still looking for that compelling hook. Uh, in the verse choruses, it's maybe because I um, am seeking for anything, even in experimental music. I always try to seek where the hook is that kind of lures me in a little bit more involved into the melody. And because, I mean, his singing is not drawing me in, but it's, it is definitely fitting the musical quality that is being presented here. But I do think that it's an int- lyrically it's I, I am seeing some kinks in the armor and maybe that's just because of the genre that they're in um, because it's a choice to essentially re-sing that first vor- verse after going through the song lyrics to like the end and a couple times in the chorus. It just this particular track and maybe because of that minimal quality, it's just it's not terrible, but it just seems like a half baked idea that needed to be further fleshed out um, before hitting record. But maybe that's the intention is you are 
experience in this whole situation, whether it be live or on record, that this is kind of his musical style that kind of leaves you uh, with wanting a little bit more than just these short bursts. Um, it's certainly a choice, but for me personally, I just I couldn't find the the hook to reel me in on this one. Fair enough. Steve, scapegoat. Oh, God. Another long day at the candy factory. The clock is dragging. Old man Piscotti has demanded a doubling in the pastel candy eggs by Easter weekend. The conveyor belts have been pushed to the max. And like everything else around this world, with the cost of gas rising and living being so high, it's costing more and more to get these candy eggs out the door. As the chocolate eggs pass before my eyes faster and faster, I remember my great aunt and the Easter's at her house and the Mountain Dew that we would drink on those Easter Sundays. I don't believe in God anymore. That's quitting time. <laughs> Are you reading like Chuck Grasley's tweets? <laughs> But go ahead. Go ahead, Eric. No, no, no. I see what I see what's happening here. I see what's happening here. Well, Steve, I appreciate you writing poetry tonight. Um, all right. Well, with nothing else to say about that song, let's go to track three. Maybe the first banger on the album. I guess we'll see what Mark thinks. Love Parasite. Parasite starts with this Nintendo synth that bleeps and blops back and forth. You hear this bass synth come in and your toe gets tapping. It is ready made for the club. Um, and uh, the uh, you really hear the choir going nuts on the Love Parasite! I'm doing back and forth from speaker to speaker. It's very repetitive, but it's an earworm. Repetitive in what you would expect, I guess, in this genre of music. And when you know what it's about... It becomes almost hilarious. It's a very sarcastic track about a newborn baby. Scream aloud, words without meaning. You lack the gift of speech, but you suck like a leech. Uh, force fed with sound, gonna get no sleep tonight. Listen to that voice, it's a hungry voice. Get no sleep tonight. Uh, very, <laughs> very funny. Very sarcastic. Definitely, as much as this album was like a, almost like a love letter to 
his newborn in in that you know the 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 failure of the world and, and wishing for a better world for the newborn this is definitely a dad pulling his hair out at 3 a.m when the kid won't go to sleep um, and yet it still is a dance track that almost sounds like a like it's about a love song but that's the beauty of pop music it doesn't have to be what it sounds like um I find this song to be a lot of fun um Mark what do you think about love parasite yeah, I, I I do like this song. I like its noisy aspects. We do get a little bit more infectious synth lines in here. Um, yes, it does sound pretty repetitive lyrically, I would say, but not, I mean, even like that sort of um, electronic dance music that tends to be a little bit more repetitive, they have hooks, they have uh, melodies that uh, you remember when you're listening to it and you're kind of nodding your head a little bit. Um, I'm still just really able, I'm able to f- be still drawn into this song, even though it's still very minimal in its production. It's not like we're listening to born to run by Springsteen when I say layering, but I will say that it is an earworm in the sense that we're hearing a little bit more of a fully fleshed out uh, idea and um, I'm sure that you would probably agree with me that even though uh, musically, I feel like, yeah, he's Frank has got his chops. He knows what he's trying to do, and he's trying to do it in a very creative way uh, for its time. Um, and but I do think that he does struggle with writing dynamic lyrics. I think he's more interested in potentially um uh, expressing himself musically through his uh, synth playing versus uh, his actual lyrical weight. And, but, you know, if you're thinking about it from a kind of a dance perspective, it fits per- perfectly. Uh, you don't need something that you need to memorize a whole bunch of uh, lyrics to. You can just shout along into the, uh, into the club as this is, uh, you know, playing. Uh, the smell of clove cigarettes just lurking in the air, but love parasite. I, I agree with you, Eric. It is a pretty, pretty solid track. And I try to, uh, you know, really think about the perspective of how would I feel about listening to this record? If I had never heard any of the records that came out of the influence of this one, um, because I do see the fact that Depeche mode uh, just in comparison, since we were just talking about them for a lot, lot time, uh, a lot of time, is the fact that they always had like this very traditional sense of how uh, songwriting is is going, very commercial, um, but at its time still being able to push that envelope. Uh, whereas Frank here, uh, Fad Gadget, is just really like I'm going to challenge my listener um, to kind of reframe that. Uh, idea of what a traditional song sounds like. And so love parasite. I, I I would say that's my thesis statement around this entire record, but love parasite is certainly a, a, a top track on this record.
Steve, what is the song, or rather just the title of the song, uh, make you want to share with us? I found a a white fedora at the Salvation Army, and it was made in America. I bought it for $5. And I walked from bar to bar in Sacramento, from Midtown to Old Town to Downtown, even to the Velvet Triangle with this white fedora. And I have a silk shirt on. It looks good with this white fedora. Fantastic. Is that Frank's Wild Years? All right. Well, thanks as always for sharing. Uh, next track Plain Song. Oh, the chin is not forgotten. The words are so disgusting I can hardly wait to leave this place The people seem to revel in their own bad taste And amplify their emptiness Glorify their mindlessness All right. Well, this this particular song um, is one of the ones I was alluding to before, which is a much more famous song shares its title by The Cure um, that we will be covering later this season. Um, but this this one is hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I got to put my beat poetry fucking uh, stuff down to comment on this a plain song is not like a famous song by The Cure. I mean, it's a Cure song, but. I just I just find it funny you said it's a much more famous song. It's, I, I, than this than this one, sure. But yeah, but yeah. but still, it's not it's not like it's. It, it, do the Cure have any famous songs? Maybe Friday I'm in Love or some such, but you know, plain song. Sure, sure. But anyhow, all right. I would I retract my statement. Uh, but the um, this particular song is uh, it's all a cappella for the most part. I think there's a little bass synth in the synth in the background. This reminds me of, and there's a couple songs on here that remind me of going for like uh, some moments on the wall, which was, which was also a concept record about some similar themes. Um, and uh, this one sounds like something that might've been, could have been in the middle of, of that um, all acapella singing, um, uh, really singing about on the surface, it's like living in like the anger that comes from living in a boring suburb. But if you look at the subtext words, like I don't believe quite what I hear. The words are so disgusting. I can hardly wait to leave this place. The people seem to revel in their own bad taste. It's um, really like, I think what it's really talking about is these neo-Nazis um, coming out of the British suburbs. Um, it's uh you know, it is it is one of the more theatrical songs. The chorus has a lot to do in the background on this song, but um, thematically wise, it just gives us a little break from the beat um, to kind of hear about some of these these fears that Frank has. Mark, yeah, uh, plain song. Uh, definitely, when I saw the track listing, I immediately thought of the track from The Cure from Disintegration. Yeah, famously, um, famously, yeah. famously, famously, because I'm a music nerd. That uh, yeah, um, 
But <laughs> this song does remind me if uh, you remember that Rockapella, they were the uh, uh, the the acapella um, fedora wearing um, uh, guys from the Carmen Sandiego trivia sure. show Where on in PBS. The world is Carmen <laughs> you know, I don't mind acapella. I, I don't really mind it. It's uh, well, you're, you're a Harvard boy. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, put the sweater tied around the, the, the neck. It's, it's wholesome. It's fun for the whole family. But outside of that little snarkiness, um, what actually really reminds me of is how Ogre uh, from Skinny Puppy, his project uh, Prescription or RX, I don't know really the actual pronunciation of that. Um, I do remember there was a track that had this sort of same feeling um, where uh, Ogre also kind of sings very monotone, um, very nasally a little bit um not to say that's bad it's just that's the style so it kind of reminded me of that and it's not very compelling for me um because i do uh like being able to hear instrumentation and at least finding something that uh that reels me in man i sound so repetitive on this um but I appreciate the experimentation of it and um, the sampling of vocals to make that melody. It's just, for me, it doesn't, um, if I was landing on this song on shuffle, I'd be like, yeah, I'm not in the mood. Um, but listening to it from a record, like it, it's not so offensive to me that I'm like, what the fuck is this? It is more just like, Okay, it may not be for me, but I appreciate the effort. And uh, it does remind me of some of the other um, artists that I really appreciate. And I can see maybe this being an inspiration for a lot of that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's definitely not like a top song on here. I just, yeah, mostly I enjoy the context on the record. um, Yeah. uh, What it does. Uh, Yeah, so... Steve, I can't wait to hear what you got for us. I am dressed like Philip Glass. I'm wearing a turtleneck and I am bald now. And I have a series of cups filled with different volumes of water in front of me. And I'm trying to impress a school of children with my attempts at making music out of these cups. Eric is behind me and he's singing in some kind of boys choir. (laughs) But it's just him, not a choir, it's just Eric. I think this was a South Park episode. <laughs> oh boy. All right. I'll sit with that one for a bit. All right. Well, what I'm what I'm noticing as we're going through this is the uh definitely uh to each their own kind of thing. I um I uh I find I find some of the melodies on this infectious, infectious, but I realize they're not landing with everybody, and that's the fun of the show. Uh, but here comes another track, "Wheels of Fortune." Exhaust pipe 
Fortune is a song about it's an environmental song um, this is uh, talking just basically about just uh, the opulence of the 80s uh, cars as status symbols but also as you know killing the environment it's got a driving beat the grand piano Joe Simmons grand piano he's pulling on some like 80s Joe Jackson uh, style sounds on this I really do like uh, uh, Joe Simmons piano work on this record it adds a level of unpredictability to a, you know, otherwise a you know, pretty sanitary, uh, you know, programmed uh, uh, record. Um, and uh, it's, it can be an optimistic piano riff, despite the kind of damning lyrics. And um, it's got a little saxophone in it. You gotta love a little saxophone in 80s music. There is a, there's a whole uh, term for, for, in the, uh, the fandom of people like me that enjoy like uh, your dark wave music or industrial, when a saxophone shows up, uh, they call it goth sax. It's, a, it's, a, it, it's made it a, definitely a re reoccurrence. And obviously it's a reference to uh, like that amazing saxophone in the Lost Boys that we brought up so many times. But it certainly shows up in a lot more songs now. Needless um, to say, I loved hearing it in this particular song, Wheels of Fortune. Um, Mark, any thoughts on that? Or you could just talk about Joe Jackson if you'd like to. No, actually, this is one of my favorite tracks on the whole record. I think it's got a good hooky melody, has some layering. Uh, it's nice to see something a bit more accessible, meaning um, I feel like this is a song that you could play for anyone and be like, oh, yeah, this sounds like it's of its time, but it still has some uh, good hooks to it. Uh, I think he does a great job lyrically of actually painting a pretty dystopian picture of modern society. Um, there's a semblance of a catchy chorus. Uh, uh, the song actually, that hook with that horn line, uh, that is fantastic. that was a different piano player because that has that great classic piano sound as well it just really sounds like things are cooking in the in the old studio when this was made um and uh yeah no I'm, i was actually pleasantly surprised to see something like this right in the smack dab in the middle of the album i this is for me one of my favorites on the record that's awesome yeah that chorus uh i want to live or breathe lead free is what he's saying and it's but the way he does it, it's like, it's almost hopeful and big. It's, it's, yeah. It's, it's nice. It's nice. Good. I'm glad yeah. you liked it. Glad yeah. You liked it. I like this one. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm hitting the highway. It's either sunset or an oncoming sunrise. I can't quite tell. It's I'm in one of those parts of California where you can drive from the desert to the ocean in one day. And I don't know what time it is because I just left something bad behind me. 
maybe I was chained up in a basement making meth for Nazis, or maybe I just left my day job. I don't know. I'm driving so fast that I don't care where I'm driving from. I just need to drive away. I slam in the only cassette I got in this car, and it's uh, Fad Gadgets under the flag. My favorite track comes on, Wheels of Fortune, so I drive faster. Oh, man, it sounds like the saxophone is in the back seat. Sounds like Bull Pil- Bull- Bill Pullman's right behind me. Every strike of that piano is timed with the star twinkling and the percolate- percolating dusk light. Adios, amigos. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Was it yeah, percolating wow. or friskolating? <laughs> it works for this. Oh, good. Well, there's there's evidence Steve listened to a track on here. That's great. Well done. <laughs> All right, next song. Uh, This track is called Life on the Line. Before you get into this, is it Life on the Line 4 or IV? Is that that something? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And and I think there there are different versions of this. I don't know why it's listed like that on the album. It's not on, like, parts one through three are not on the other albums. Okay. So I think maybe they just did a couple takes, or maybe these were, like, earlier singles. I don't really have, there's not not really a lot of information out there. He's still sort of a mysterious, mysterious artist, um, or was. Um so this song, I, I I don't know if you'll agree with me, Mark. I think Frank is coming into his own as a singer on this song, where he brings you he brings you into the song a little bit more as he's um, telling the story of basically insecurity and personal self loathing drives like domestic violence situations, um, and how you know in these situations women are basically subjugated as in marriage as wives. Um, Yet it's still uh, a rather catchy track. Um, and, uh, you know, he's with lyrics like, I'm sorry about the mess on the table. I'm sure it was an accident. Um, my hands are made of nitroglycerin. That explains the incident. Somebody's trying to, like, give excuses to their to their violence. Um, but uh, he really gets cooking when he gets to the basically bridge before the chorus. You know, fortune built my homes and daydreams, pages that I'd never seen. I'm sorry you were so disappointed. Then he starts like, you could almost see him wag- wagging his finger, but the contract states quite fundamentally, the undersigned is you, lay your life on the line. And he gets very like theatrical in it in a great way. I think he actually nails his delivery on this song. Um, uh, musically, it is a very noisy synth thing, but catchy. Um, it's got a driving beat to it. And uh, great chorus work from uh, Alison Moyer and the others. And the huge synth bridges that you can tell are live 
um, which also gives it that little element of unpredictability. Uh, Mark, uh, uh, what do you think about this one? Yeah, it's a pretty good track. I mean, I think that this record is a little backloaded. Um, I think that um, the bulk of uh, showing that he's a little bit more uh, nuanced than just kind of the uh, repetitive nature of some of the earlier tracks in this record, um, I think that he's able to uh, flesh it out a little bit more with a little bit more dynamics. And this song has a really good bit of rising action, small, but it's there. Uh, during the chorus as it ramps up to the line, lay your life on the line. Uh, that's fun. It's got a really just a good synth pop melody, a uh, little bit more traditional songwriting on this one. And uh, as the song closes out, I really like that little ping pong action kind of sound that it's not exactly like, you know, if you're listening on headphones where it's going from left to right, but it's I, I just have that sort of synth sound. Um, of uh, kind of a little call and response there just from the sense it's good stuff as it closes it out yeah all right steve i've worked in dark place hospital for eight years and I've seen some strange happenings in this building. This building that functions as some sort of portal between here and there. But I've never seen anything like I saw today. A man gave birth to a giant eyeball that Dr. Rick Daglas took under his wing and refers to his skipper, the eye child. Rick hasn't gotten over the death of his half grasshopper son. He isn't thinking clearly. I fear what I have to do to set things right. I think we've all been there. Yeah, that's some definitely hits home over here to hear you say that. Yeah, it's true. And and uh, I think I think it's good that we have legal legally binding contracts that um, our wives can have give birth to these eyeball babies and and, and still stay with us afterwards. Um, I think it all comes full circle. Yeah. Oh, oh boy. All right. Well, fantastic. Uh, Next track is um, uh, a song called The Sheep Look Up. I thought they just wore masks. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. They got to look up over those masks, you know. Ah, uh, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so this is uh, really just more talking about these people that are following um, this new conservative wave. Um, something we can definitely relate to now. We talk about it all the time on, the, on this show and just on our own personal text threads. 
and people just seem to be okay with it. And um, that's really how he's feeling, uh, feeling here. Um, and there's a line in here that reminds me, it's, it's very much like ahead of its time. And I'm sure, I mean, uh, it made sense back then, but it makes a lot of sense now. And um, there's, there's a, there's a line where he's like, follow my leader is all I can play now. The people want war because war is for real. We call we we can pull together with our common enemy, but hatred stimulates. It's infectious, and it just kind of makes me think about these internet idiots that essentially get horrible presidents elected and empower the you know this whole problem with social media and politics now, and just that adrenaline rush that social media gives you know these people and 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 you know hatred makes them feel something. Um, anyways, that, that's just what I connected to it. Uh, this song builds a lot of drama. Um, this is the one I feel like there are some of these like these icy keyboard moments with some very soft vocals that make me feel a little a little like like reminding me of some cool moments on the wall and um, uh, big timpanies. Love to hear a timpani. I'm a big timpani mm-hmm. fan. Mm-hmm. Kettle drums, kettle drums, as some call them. Uh, anyways, cheap look up is kind of a cool ramp up towards the end of the record. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty dire sounding song. Um, the intro uh, reminds me of like a dark version of Chopping Broccoli by Dana Carvey. Um, and that's, uh, you know, that's points on the board for, for this song. If you ask me, it's pretty compelling. Um, it, it also to all it reminds me of some of Nick Cave's work, too. Uh, that piano work. Definitely. I could hear like Tupelo uh, also in this song. Um, that, uh, timpani, as you're talking about, I love the fact that we're hearing some real percussion on this song, which, uh, was a pleasant, uh, surprise the jazz freestyle. Sometimes it, it skews a little into that at some points in the song and no demerits for that. It, it seems to hold everything together. And lyrically I had said it before. I think it's a pretty great message of following patriotism blindly uh, despite how much the world is falling down around you, uh, that's, um, a prescient, uh, theme that, you know, history is always going to be repeating itself, uh, no matter how hard we try not to repeat it, but it, uh, or we learn from history, but we don't actually try to avoid our human nature. And, uh, we, we tend to kind of go in more into our tribalism, uh, states and, some folks are able to look past the woes of society in order to just be part of their tribe. And, uh, on it goes, on it goes, on it goes. And it only seems to have gotten worse as information becomes so, uh, at the ready. And, uh, for 1982, I mean, it's, it's wild that Jesus 40 years later, we're dealing with the exact same thing, but only on overdrive. It feels that way. I don't know. Maybe at that point they thought they were already in overdrive. So in a way it could be, that. it could be comforting in the sense that, okay, maybe this is just the cycle, the circle of time, but yeah. it's also like, well, fuck, nobody learns anything, you know? Right. Are we going to go into the, uh, you know, the heyday of the nineties after this? Um, I, I don't I'll know. I'll be all right with that. I'd be uh, fine with that too, but yeah. I don't yeah. know how we get there. It's true. It's true. Uh, Steve. I don't know how much longer I can keep this up. Night after night, 
pounding away at the ivories as the drunks get up and butcher show tunes and old classics. I try to spruce things up. Uh, my attempts at freestyling in a scale change here and there is always met with reproach from the old man behind the bar. Philistines, all of them. If I wasn't spending every other waking moment when I'm not here at this piano trying to hunt down replicants, well, I would just leave the city altogether. I know how Rick Decker feels. I do. It's hard to find those skin jobs out there. <laughs> it, I, it makes me want to drink a Coca-Cola, though. That definitely does. I mean, yeah, that sounds yeah. refreshing and crisp. It does. It does. All right. Well, uh, next track, Cypher. Uh, favorite character from The Matrix 1. Of course. He wants to be an actor. someone important <laughs> all right so cypher um great actually i think there's a great little bit of poetry in the song my words are dedicated to the one i love it's been so long since our lips have touched whisper young lovers whisper tonight all my letters will be censored read between each secret sentence handwritten for my dearest cypher love uh it's about a forbidden love and of a conservative future um they have to hide their love from an oppressive government um, uh, you could see that maybe, uh, through like some of the themes of, uh, the LGBTQ community and their struggles during the eighties. Um, and unfortunately now, um, but it's the song wise, it doesn't have, uh, a lot of, uh, melody to it. Um, it does have a cool build in the production, um, with some interesting echoey drums and grand piano hits. Um, it's a longer song, um, and it is cool to see uh, some of the live instruments um, kind of scanning in as the song goes on. Um, I think I like what it's about more than the song itself, but Mark, what do you think? Yeah, there's a ton of atmosphere on the song. Uh, maybe it's because I've, uh, uh, I only see things through one prism these days, and that's through the prism of anything that Tom Cruise tells me to listen to. Uh, but that beginning part, it starts out like the beginning of the Top Gun theme right before the shredding guitar that <laughs> it's during that title sequence that uh, oh, yeah. I so just nailed at the beginning of the show. Um, and, uh, you know, um, that's that's a that's a ticket for me. Um, musically, it works for me uh, a bit. But to your point, Eric, it does go on to be a bit too long. And lyrically, it reads like a love song, but not in a romantic or a longing way. It really reminds me of the way a stalker, a serial killer would be writing to his next victim. And maybe that's because the amount of atmosphere that this song has and maybe his even lyrical delivery. Uh, I mean, if you read that to somebody, they'd be like, oh, that's so sweet. But the way that he delivers it, it's shit, man. Is my head going to be in your drawer at the end of the night? So, yeah, it's uh, 
it, it's it's not a bad track, but it's not one of my favorites. Um, but I do appreciate um, what's what's happening here. I think it's just a bit too long. I don't know Steven. who or what. I don't know who or what is going to come out of that door next. I've been sitting on this beach for months, maybe years. I've lost track of time. There's too much space out here. There's not there's not enough things for me to keep track of anything. And I'm just waiting for that door to open again. When I'm not eating the crabs, I talk to the crabs now, or maybe they're lobsters. Did a chick? Dad a chum? Did you hear that? Is that yeah. Roland? Attica? Oh, it was Roland. Okay. Roland, uh, yeah, yeah. I know he feels he uh drawing of the three. It's you know, we hate to be we hate to see it, folks. Uh happens to the best of us, but uh sometimes when you're finding yourself on the beach and those motherfucking lobsters are eating your fingers. Lobstrosities, yeah. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah. But wow, yep. what a bummer. Oh, poor, <laughs> poor guy. Poor guy. Well, uh, that brings us to something that's not a bummer, a track that I do hold high on this record, For Whom the Bell Tolls. tolls starts with this um this kind of ebm beat it's 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 probably one of the highest like uh vpms on uh, on it um and the beat itself is almost like just kind of silly club electronic beat but the sounds get get big and there's giant synths in the chorus at some point you can hear a dog barking and some sort of weird choking vocalizations um uh the song itself uh is uh, it's got a great opening line. I've heard them once. I've heard them a thousand times before. I'm in danger of repeating myself, but I don't care anymore. Sleepless nights and world weary days. I live without you, but life goes on regardless. I don't know what to do. Uh, ultimately, the song is about how hard it is to live with heartbreak in this world state. So like, it's basically like when you've lost your love and you don't have that anymore, a world that is as awful as the world he's painting on this record is that much worse. And you could flip that to say, if the world sucks, at least you have love. And, and, and that's, that's, that's the other, I guess, way to look at it. Um, still though, it is a, it is a pretty catchy track. Also repetitive. The chorus, the bat Alison Moyes chorus work is all over the place in a great way on this song. And, uh, once again, sorry, Steve, not a Metallica cover, um, but uh, 
still uh, it's considered one of their bigger songs. Uh, Mark, what do you think about For Whom the Bell Tolls? I think uh, unlike Metallica, um, instead of just a single bell, they're actually using multiple bells uh, to toll that. Uh, so it's my track listing shows For Whom the Bells Toll tolls. Oh, you're right. You're right. Um, so they got more than one bell doing some tolling. Uh, it's pretty catchy synth stabs during the chorus. I I like this song in particular gets a little frisky and I I like that friskiness that it's, uh, it's a pretty bouncy number and, uh, wants you to do your best, uh, interpretive under the highway. Um, uh, it, 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 it's got some movement as well. What I'm trying to say, um, I feel like this song though lacks one more element in order to put it almost into all timer territory. Uh, it's that release. I think there is a climbing up the hill situation here that happens to happen and it just seems to end. Um, I want that, uh, I don't know, maybe the one thing about Frank or Mr. Fad, Mr. Gadget, um, as his, uh, uh, banker and dentist call him, um, I, I think that maybe some more collaboration. Um, he seems like a pretty insular kind of guy. Uh, and, you know, I'm sure that there was a little bit of, hey, we should try this. But it sounds like, you know, Mr. Frank Tovey is doing everything. And maybe another pair of eyes and ears uh, could have maybe taken some of his really strong foundation and helped to bring it into another level. Of course, we've got Martin Gore pairing up with Alan Wilder um, and what Dave Gahan brings. It's a very collaborative effort. And so maybe that's one of the issues. I mean, even Gary Newman, for crying out loud, who um, seemed to also take a page out of what Mr. Tovey was doing here and bring it more towards the, the middle and a little bit we can be both accessible and try to really take what's going on with the synth pop sound. Um, and you know, uh, maybe that's what I'm lacking here is just having a set of an insular vision, um, having somebody be able to say, Hey, we should maybe add this right here. And, um, I mean, even Trent Reznor for crying out loud, uh, I think is able to take that input and bring it, into uh something a little bit extra and i think maybe that's what's lacking and i sound like i'm not a fan of this song but i am a fan of this song the song is great it's fun it's frisky as i said it's good i hear you it's just missing that uh that that feeling of of completion that i know you yes so bad. exactly uh, this song's giving me blue balls over here oh oh uh, boy, uh, get yourself a bucket of ice. Uh, Steve, you're up. <laughs> this is a topic that I don't like bringing up again and again, but I have to because it's one of my favorite topics. But you have to treat the midterms like your country depends on it. Have you even studied the, ba- the ballot yet? I'm not kidding. Vote while you still can. It sounds dramatic, but you know what will be more dramatic than that? If not only do they charge you to have the right to listen to this podcast, if it even still exists, but what they're going to do is they're going to pay you for the right not to have to listen to Jill Rogan, if you'll believe it. 
Go vote early. I have at least 400 more houses to hit today. I got to go. I mean, um, secret friend of the show, Ben Shapiro. I mean, uh, thanks for dropping that in there into our <laughs> inbox. Um, I mean, it's important that we do get that message out. Uh, but you know, it ben is what it ben is. Shapiro has been lobbying us ever since we started talking about Tom Cruise so much. The height thing. I think he wants, he wants to, uh, to, to, uh, Exactly. You should Tom bring the, uh, short guy. kings unite. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> Yowza. All right. Uh, thank you. Next is our final track. This is the second Under the Flag book in Under the Flag part two. Young men, go out, take what's yours, don't doubt. There's strength in numbers, walk on, defend the meek, headstrong. Um, so this, uh, but then, so it starts with that, and then it switches to, now the story's become a bore, I don't want to hear it anymore. It by no means in an immaculate conception, too many bodies lying around pushing daisies on the ground, and the church is cashing in on resurrection. So this is our religion song, and it connects basically all the other themes of the record to this this idea of like the hypocrisy of religion where there are elements of religion that are about rebellion and standing up for, you know, for the little guy and the way that religion has been co-opted by conservatives. Um, it gets, I think this song gets pretty epic. I think it is a really good closer. Um, the arpeggio synths uh, really keep the momentum up and the chorus hits big at the end. Um, and you get, I don't know, we'll see. Did Mark, do we get a feeling of closure with this track? I did. Uh, Under the Flag 2, Electric Boogaloo is a, uh, a smash hit. It's not quite the Godfather 2 of uh, Godfather movies, but I do like the fact that uh, we come full circle. Nothing like, uh, isn't this where we came in to really uh, hammer home that wall reference? Um, exactly. But it reminds me of um, like a John Carpenter uh, type film where, you know, you've got snake Pliskin running through alleyways and, uh, I'm hearing this song. It's pretty propulsive. So those are pagios, buddy. Those are exactly. Pagios. Yeah. Uh, 80s action movies really were a big fan of those synth. I mean, I'm sure the lethal weapon movies were f chock full of rigs, you know, having to, uh, 
be electrocuted by Gary Busey or something. Don't forget about the naked gun scores too. Yeah. I mean, of course, who could forget? <laughs> Imagine um, those with, with John Carpenter's score. Just... <laughs> sorry. Sorry. <laughs> oh, I know. Um, that's what the gritty reboot needs. I, I, but I still just want some traditional hooks. Um, it's a pretty good album closer. It brings things to a full circle, like I said. Um, and I can see how this essentially influenced a lot of the artists that either went to directly influence our favorites or influence their favorites. Um, but overall, not a bad experience here. Steven, closer. Those fuckers lied to me. I did exactly what they asked. I helped them burn their books. I forced their ladies to have babies. I backed the blue. I stood guard at the polls. I even hung my Brandon banner. My wife left me. My kids won't talk to me. And to them I said good riddance. But for some reason I am not a millionaire still. And they even locked me up for something called poverty crimes. But it's okay. They are actually doing me a favor because now I have time for more push-ups. Actually, it's a kindness. It's pretty nice of Steve Bannon to check in with us too. Um, <laughs> I think that, uh, you know, sorry to hear that, buddy. I'm, I'm glad that the, this podcast is bringing you some sort of, um, I don't know, uh, just comfort, I would say comfort. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, in these trying times, but oh, Steve uh, Bannon can't do a push-up. You know, you know he's wearing too many collared shirts for Nothing that. Would fall off. Yeah, it's yeah, it's. <laughs> he's getting in fighting shape, you know. Yeah. All right, Mark. Um, well, I think I think a certain amount of crossfire happening on this particular record, but let's go ahead and just wrap her, wrap her up. Wrap her up. Wrap her up. Um, overall thoughts uh, and a, a rating. Go for it. Yeah. Overall thoughts. Um, while this may not have uh, been a meaty meal for me in the sense of like really falling in love with this particular project, but I absolutely walked away with um, extreme appreciation for it. Um, I see the through line, um, and it's always good to go back to see where the foundation was laid. Um, I give this album for the most part, a 3.4 out of, uh, five gadgets. Um, because, uh, it's, it's definitely of its time. Um, the songwriting itself is not necessarily what I get immediately, uh, interested in but I understand the experimentalism of it all and the minimalism of it all. I think I would rather listen to this particular record than um, I will just say right now, I've never listened to one Kraftwerk record all the way through, which could be blasphemy, but it's just never really hit my, my, um, my ear like that. And this Guilty. one, <laughs> 
Yeah, but this one, like, I could probably revisit some of these tracks. I don't, I don't, I, I found this to be a pretty enjoyable experience after my second listen. My first listen, driving home in traffic, this is not the album to listen to it. And the first time that you're trying to be uh, confronted with it, I think it's something that you're sitting down, listening to it with a pair of headphones and really focusing on the lyrics and seeing what parts that you can plug out of a, uh, uh, the melody line. It's a challenging record, um, even though that it's uh, not like you're listening to goddamn like John Zorn or something like that. But it's it's something that if you're not paying attention, it can just fly right over your head, and you'll be like, "Whoa, what what the hell did I just listen to? Was that even on?" So you do have to kind of focus in a little bit to find where the uh, the gems are at. That's actually generous score, Mark. That's I appreciate that. Uh, Steve, don't know what you're going to do with your with your rating here. Can't wait. <laughs> Sitting on I'm breath. going to I'm, I'm going to actually reenact an entire episode of the Hollywood Squares. No, um, uh, that's kind of funny. Mark gave me a couple things to think about. A, after we did our Berlin trilogy in the Bowie uh, uh, season, I can't believe you never at least listened to one Kraftwerk album. I you you should rectify that um it's funny that you say that you need to like being stuck in traffic wasn't the right time you gotta have headphones on the reason i was doing my little like stage plays that i fucking wrote up tonight was because when i was writing notes for this album i couldn't fucking i just could not write anything that conveyed how i felt about it and i noticed this record for me uh, it kind of made me think of music I would listen to if I was getting ready to leave the house or if I was driving across town. To me, this album actually is something that it's good the less I focus on it, if that makes sense. Like the more I like listen to it and try to pick out, okay, what's he trying to say here? What's this trying to do? The less I liked it. But if I were to use it as something that was uh, scoring some kind of action in my life, I appreciate it better. So I started thinking, I started listening to the songs and I was just writing down like what the songs were making me think of, but not trying to pick the part that pick the songs apart. So that's where tonight's insanity came from, but it was the only way I could talk about this record. I think, I think uh, Frank would appreciate that. <laughs> yeah, I, also, yeah, the avant-gardeness of doing that felt appropriate. Um, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I could definitely see uh, the through line to other artists I like. Um, for some reason I got a lot. Raymond Watts has to be a fad gadget fan. I don't yeah. know why I say that, but no, yeah, I was waiting for one of you guys to say that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I did enjoy it. I don't know how often I'll put it on again and I give it like a 2.9, 2.9 flags. Nice. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. Uh, thanks for giving it a shot. Um, this one, I can't really explain it. I, this is another one of those to each their own, like at least half the songs on here, if not more, they have, I like the melodies get stuck in my head. I know them. It's probably because something appealed to, to me about them early on. And so I've listened to it so many times. Um, but, uh, you know, it's, it's innovative experimental synth work, kind of dark pop songwriting uh, with a clear theme for an entire album. I mean, this is like the recipe for Eric chocolate chip cookies. Like that's that, that 
that's what I need. And, and, and so this one works for me on a lot of levels. Um, this is the only fad ga- gadget album. I feel like works as a complete piece. Uh, they have great hits on other albums. I could make a whole, like their best of is fantastic. And, and, and I would uh, recommend anybody check that out if, if this has piqued their interest, but this is the one album I feel like, like works. And, um, I feel like it's historically important. And even if there aren't big rising actions and, and climaxes, I feel like as a whole, it is a satisfying record. Um, I do give this a 4.5 out of five sprockets. Um, and, uh, uh, I just, I, I, I like this record a lot. How do we so, get through the entire night with that being the first Sprockets reference? That's the first thing that came <laughs> to my mind when I listened to this thing. Yeah, in the writer's room, Steve Steve implied we should all be in yeah turtlenecks and and spandex pants and ponytails dancing to this this uh, this record. Uh, it's not even it's not even German, but you know it's it's all connected. It's all no, connected. It's, uh, I'm glad I'm glad I added it to my my uh, history of music. I'll probably revisit it once or twice. I'm not going to put it on all the time. Uh, Definitely. The phrase not for me doesn't apply here. No, this is for me, but it's, I'd have to be in very particular mood, but I'm glad to check off that box of knowing more about the history of uh, electronic music that I do adore. Yeah, that's, that's perfect. That's a great way to say that. Yeah. And, and rest in peace, Frank Tovey. He's been gone now 20 years, but, um, clearly uh, left, left, left an important body of work though. It very short, be it very short. Uh, Steve, you might like his folk protest music. That might be more in line with your, some of your interests. He died at 45 of a heart attack. That's fucking crazy. I don't like that. Do you smoker? A lot of cocaine? No, he said he suffered from heart problems since childhood. So yeah, yeah, Yeah. that's sad. Yeah. Very sad. Very sad. Well, uh, let it, let us see where we go from here. Yeah. Well, thank you, Eric. Oh yeah. Definitely. Thanks, uh, definitely worth, um, people's time. I would say, uh, if they want to, yeah. Oh, go on, go on, go on. Oh, back. I was just going to say like for, uh, like an act that just really is kind of more of an unknown, uh, kind of more on the B side collection of mute records. Um, it, it was worth the education. Yeah. Good. Good. Excellent. Yeah. And I think Steve deserves uh, uh, a potty award for his performance tonight. Um, completely unexpected. And uh, I, I like, once again, I think Frank would appreciate. Yeah. I can do that. All, I can do that for the rest of the uh, podcast. If you guys want me to, that's fine. Oh, I'm sure that our <laughs> listeners would uh, find that to be highly entertaining. Sound off in the chat folks. Yeah. Sound off in the chat. Yeah. Uh, all right. All right what's, what's next? What, what is up next? All right. Well, good news. It's an early one. I can't, I mean, I don't know what record it is, but it's early enough there. I, I imagine there's no sense and there's no British boys in makeup singing uh, dark songs. Uh, what's number four, Mark? Number four. Number four. Well, what's tomorrow, guys? The Sabbath. 
Is it? Is it? Is it really? It looks Did like we, we have oh, a you journey. Too. Are you too? <laughs> Sunday, bloody Sunday? Released April 25th, 1980, uh, from a record by the folks over in the UK, Black Sabbath. All right. How did we will this? Did we game? Did you guys, did you trick me? Is this true? I don't know. That's... I'm looking at, I'm looking at a, a pointy four on my black diamond dice. I don't right. know, man. It's, I don't know. That, that proves there is something at work here because you guys know I've been on a Sabbath kick. That's well, true. I think you willed it into existence, honestly, with all this Aussie talk that we've been having to. Uh, uh, I did. Uh, I on. did feel. I did feel a, a a ghost, like a spectral hand on my hand, like like we're in the movie Ghost uh, doing pottery. Yep. Although I was rolling dice, that might have been. There has been the Aussie talk, but remember, this is the Dio years, the Superior years. That is true, and uh, apparently, um, you're going to have some splaining to do, like Ricky Ricardo style. Um, about why you picked a Dio fronted Black Sabbath record? Because it's clearly superior. The real heads know, Mark. The real, the real heads know. But that's fine. That's, you best get your case in order, there, counselor. Because I, court's I in will, session. I, I could, I could, I could stand. You put me on the stand right now, but I'm not. You know, <laughs> it's too late for that. But everyone, everyone is going to win. You know, it's. It's amazing when you look at the history of Black Sabbath. Swazi leaves the band and he has a good solo career. Black Sabbath makes amazing albums with Dio. And then Dio leaves Black Sabbath and has a good solo career. Everybody won. It just, uh, that breakup spawned like three paths of great music. I'll talk all about it on, I'm sure what'll be a very short series of episodes. Uh, <laughs> two maximum or two minimum. Two maximum, both. <laughs> Two drink maximum. I don't think they actually say that at the comedy clubs, but uh, yeah, that's what this episode's going to be. Me and Eric will be the greatest... six episodes deep, and you still haven't <laughs> talked about the record. So let me tell you about. So Tony we're going to take a quick detour into Randy Rhodes. Um, this that's entire right. episode is going to be dedicated, even though uh, he's it, a member of Black Sabbath. But that's it, how far we've diverted from. Right. So just Here's to truly understand, to he, truly he understand Randy Rhodes, <laughs> to truly understand Randy Rhodes, you first have to listen to Ingve Malmsteen. All right. <laughs> wow. uh, I want you guys branches to notice. Branches. I want you guys to notice. I may pick weird stuff, but we're clocking in just under two hours on this bad boy, and that's plus history. So you're. you're yeah. Welcome. Exactly. <laughs> Whereas Steven's got like, all right, I'm mapping out part one. John Osborne was born in (laughs) the connections of heavy metal to the Baroque period. (laughs) You see, to really, truly understand, you have to understand Mozart's psyche. Okay. And that's the level of detail that we're going to get into when we talk about Black Sabbath and eventually talking about the record Heaven and Hell. Who knows what Steve uh, is going to be cooking up for me and Eric. But uh, we will see. Stay tuned. And as always, we hope that we brought you closer to Gadge. Gadge.